Besides interesting and sure, what's a word you find yourselves using a lot? Yourselves. I mean, way to directly call us out immediately. <laughs> yes, seriously. I didn't know about sure. <laughs> it's the same. It's the same impact. It's the same thing. Interesting and sure, because sure, sure is more of a keep going. I'm listening. Don't worry. Don't yeah. worry about me. Yeah. Stop paying attention to me. Just keep talking. <laughs> interesting is like, oh, uh, tell me more. No, interesting is like, (laughs) interesting is like, you said something and I don't have anything to say back to it, but I need to say something. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's interesting. (laughs) So, so do you, do you have like a, do you have another crutch word or just a word that you use a lot? I mean, I continuously get flack for saying okie doke. Yeah, really? Well, right. I also say okie doke a lot. Uh, well, Emily, I don't know. Maybe because you're a woman, it's more acceptable. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> it just feels whoa. like that was not a line that needed whoa. to be drawn. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. What's happening in here? <laughs> Kyle said, Kyle said, maybe it's just harder to be a man. <laughs> you don't understand. <laughs> Welcome to Butter No Parsnips. Every week on Butter No Parsnips, your hosts Kyle Imperator and Emily Moyers take you on an adventure through the weird, wacky, wonderful, and sometimes even wicked world of one wayside word. Strange characters, delightful bits, and general joyousness abound. Join them as they test each other's etymological expertise. Hey everybody, this is Butter No Parsnips. I'm Seth Glicksman, here with... Emily Moyers, and Kyle Imperator. And it looks like, yes, once again, you two have been so gracious as to let me host yet another episode. And I think grace is definitely the thing at play here, and definitely not that I am regularly on edge about falling behind on episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely not that, definitely. Yeah, you, were, you were definitely chomping, not that. You were chomping at the bars of your, your cell, and we said we got to let him out. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. chewing on him. We got to let him out. I think we got to let that guy out. I don't, we, I don't know if he used to use the bathroom or... <laughs> we've got to let him crack the spine of that most sacred tome. <laughs> yes, yes, you two. And I... I was perusing that most sacred tome, the Lexiconicon, the other day, as I am wont to do. Me, a reclusive wizard who lives in one of those crooked castles you see painted into the backgrounds of old cartoons. That's right. And as I poured over these ancient scrolls, somewhere in a section titled Miscellany, Miscellany? Miscellany? No, you got it. I know her. It's the main section of the book. I discovered (laughs) something my eyes could not believe. And it's this that I bring to both of you today and ask, are you ready? Ready to have your eyes opened, your mind expanded, your potential unlimited? Are you ready to gaze upon the pages of the Lexiconicon once more? Oh, is there a like a waiver we have to sign or... (laughs) 
I don't. I I'd like to speak with my lawyer. I first. actually, you already handed in the slips with your parents' signatures. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so we're taking. We're, we are going to take this field trip. Unfortunately, all right. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we got your allergies all down, so don't okay, even worry that's about good. it. That's good. Cherries, Kyle. I was surprised. I it's especially surprising because I eat them constantly. Like I have one every ten minutes. I, that's yeah. why I was surprised. Yeah. and dis- yeah. I am generous. That's why I was surprised and why I am generally disgusted by you. (laughs) (laughs) Just spitting out seeds every couple minutes. (laughs) I grow them inside me. I don't even bother picking them out. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Seth. All right. Hit us with this legend lore. (laughs) The word I ask you to define for me today is... H A P A X space L E G O M E N O N Hapax Legomenon. Hapax Lego Man. Yeah, that is That's what, what I'm, I'm reading. Like, like it's jumping out at me, right? <laughs> <laughs> Legomenon. Legomenon. Okay, so, so yeah, Emily, you got. Guesses? I mean, the the lega has got to be. Well, it's L E G, not L O G. I was going to say it's got to be word something, but it would be L O G if it was. If it yeah, if it was logo. Um, Apex legomenon. It looks a little bit like. The next iteration of QAnon, I like really got off the rails. <laughs> Honestly, if anything, it got on the rails. <laughs> so is this like um, <laughs> a trick? <laughs> is this like something that uh, we can just flounder for a minute and then you'll just tell us what it means? Because we're real confused. Well, <laughs> do we, Seth, do we get a hint like in Butter No Parsnips proper? You You do have... A hint, but the hint isn't going to be a one-word one. I'm going to I'm going to give you a little more That's than that. Fair. If it's a if it's a two-word word, then I think we've already we've already the broken the rules. <laughs> but when I first read this word aloud, I was struck by lightning twice, run over by a taxiing airplane, and teleported to the set of the Friends reunion with Fat Joey. That is to say, it was all highly uncommon. Um, is this a spell that makes rare things happen? <laughs> uh, no, but it can be. <laughs> it can be a spell? Yeah, if you'd like it to be. It's really oh. up to you. You oh, can do okay. anything with words, man. <laughs> you know, really positivist attitude there. I'm trying to, I'm trying to open up that third eye, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Which there are none in in this word. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's right. It would be the first eye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just have no idea. Yeah, I mean, is it a Game of Thrones character? <laughs> yeah, that was my word. I said, I really want to be on the show this week. I want to just do a character from a franchise I've never once been interested in watching. I feel like it's got to be something like deja vu, where there's like a, a literal meaning to this phrase, but it refers to like a phenomenon. Well, yeah, I think... And, uh, a legomenon. A legomenon. I think that's like a, you're hitting on something there, Emily, like grammatically. Grammatically. Yeah. yeah. Right? So, I mean, this is Latin, right, Seth? Oh, no. It's Greek. 
Oh, that's what I meant. That's the same thing. That's yeah. Editing. Kyle said, "Listen, I'm gonna support." I Kyle mean, this right is here. Greek. Kyle said, "Right." <laughs> <laughs> but just Seth saying Greek. <laughs> um, hey, Pax. Agamemnon. Oh, what does it mean? Go, 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 man. Emily, Goman. you gotta give me. Come on, quickly. Uh, me, uh, I gotta. Uh, is it just something something to do with light? Does it have to do with light? No, yeah. it does not. Mm. No. Well, the Pax is peace, but I don't know if Hapax is the same. Mm. Oh, I don't know. Apex. I feel like Apex I... is a half a piece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the economy used to be weird. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle, I feel like we have we have yeah. floundered for far uh, longer than we should have. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Should... Yeah, so, that's true. So, what does it mean? You know, what does it mean, Emily? Quick. Speak the spell which evokes for me the definition. Quickly, Emily. Emily, please. We what? don't have much time. What? Kyle is dying. He has what? no idea. Uh, uh, Say it. Please. Uh, <laughs> uh, wow, you're really going to let me I die like I that. I don't understand what Seth wants you to say to right now. You have to speak the spell. You have to speak the spell. Come on. <laughs> Emily, come on! Uh, look at my fingers are withering to <laughs> They're withering noodles. and somehow also blowing <laughs> up like plums! <laughs> yeah, it's really bad. And it's I'm gonna dying. die, Emily. Just say the spell. Okay, but you have to put the same echo on it. Hey, hey Pax, hey, look on the dog. Yes! Yes! There it is! Hey, Pax, look on the Apex legomenon is a word or an expression that occurs only once within a context, either in the written record of an entire language, in the works of an author, or in a single text. Oh, thank you, what? Emily. For my sake and for Kyle's. That was close, huh, buddy? You almost yeah, died back there. I'm still mostly dead. Yeah. <laughs> Looks like you got a little more time, though. Just a little. So, yes, a hapax, as it can be abbreviated, is a word or expression that occurs only once within a context. And that context can either be a single text, the entire works of an author, or an entire language. How does something occur only once in an entire language? Oh, oh, boy. <laughs> well, first, let's get in. Let's do the etymology. Yeah. So it's pretty straight and narrow here it is greek it is just it comes from greek hapax yeah. means once or one time and then legomenon comes from the greek legin i don't know if that's how that's said legin legain um yeah yeah it, i oh okay. <laughs> i used to know this Go meaning on. meaning to say so literally to say once and oh. as has become my style, Hapax Legomenon is more of a term applied to a vast array of words rather than being a word unto itself. Any word can technically be a Hapax Legomenon given the context of the study, because you may be looking at the Hapaxes of a poem, of a book, of an author's oeuvre, or literally of an entire language. And every given work will have Hapaxes, but they may also have dislegomena or Tris legomena, or even tetrakis legomena, which are respectively words that only show up twice, three times, or four times in a selected body of work. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, Emily, I'm sure you're thinking this. You're thinking, Absolutely. Seth, my smartest and best friend. Well, what's the point of that? Well, hey, Emily, my <laughs> smartest and best friend, and also Kyle, what do you think <laughs> the point of that is? <laughs> Hey. <laughs> I texted Kyle to let him know that was an insult because he hadn't figured it out. Yeah, yeah. you let him. 
<laughs> so 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 what do you think what do you think the purpose of of a hay pack what the the purpose of defining a hay packs is i mean if you're talking about it within the context of a poem or a literary work i can see how that you know there might be significance to that in like the analysis of the work <laughs> boy seth is really Seth took his uppers. I sure, sure did. I Seth sure took did. my uppers. I, I sure think. did. I took I took a cocktail, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I see. I feel like it's nearly useless, <laughs> except for well, yeah. I guess analysis. I I I see where it could be useful in like the context of a historical period, or but like just saying for someone's ooh, it's like. All right, so I only use this once. Mm, okay, okay. Sure, 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 sure. So, one significant reason for the study of hapaxes is when we examine languages. Before I get too deep for our listeners, a corpus, for our sake, is the body of written or spoken material upon which a linguistic analysis is based. Corpora can include, as we've mentioned, an author's oeuvre, a collection of works by genre, or even the entirety of a written language. Because so much of translation and interpretation is built upon context and understanding the intent of what is being said, if a word comes up in a language's corpus that has no other recorded use, the only context we have by which to define that word is in that specific instance. Gotcha. Now, sure. you have one guess between the two of you. Where do you think we may have all encountered an instance like this? My immediate thought was apricity. Okay. Oh, okay. This, is, this doesn't count as our guest, Seth. Kyle and I are in discussions right now. Oh, I... sorry. I forgot the lights are dimmed. Yes. <laughs> this is an aside to the audience. Yeah. This is yeah, an aside. <laughs> this is our jury deliberation. Um, I See, my immediate thought was uh, King Ubu. Interesting. Like, not necessarily the word spaghettification, but something in there. Why? Just because it was wacky? <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> I feel like he was... <laughs> could have made something up that was never said again, ever. I mean, more recently, um, uh, oh no, I see, I've already, the information has already gone from my brain, but the thunder word from Finnegan's oh, Wake. Oh <laughs> yeah, those are all, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, wow, I knew I was going to forget it as soon but, as I didn't need that information anymore, yeah. and it's gone. <laughs> So, this is the thing, folks. Playwrights hate him. English teachers love him. I couldn't care less. It's Shakespeare, baby! <laughs> Shakespeare is a really good gateway drug to Hapaxes because he serves as a great study to narrow in on what does and does not constitute a Hapax and why. So, you two, to get you involved, I'm going to read mm -hmm. a bit of Shakespeare, and I want you to tell me what you think the Hapax is. Extra points if you can guess the play. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm excited. <clears throat> yeah, me too. So excellent a king that was to this, Hyperion to a satyr, so loving to my mother, that he might not beteem the winds of heaven, visit her face too roughly, heaven and earth, must I remember, why she would hang on him as if increase of appetite had grown by what it fed on. And yet within a month, let me not think on it, frailty, thy name is woman. I mean, that's a Midsummer Night's Dream. Mm-hmm. Wow, I'm furious. Oh no, he got it wrong. Oh, okay, is I was it waiting. not? <laughs> I was waiting for the rest of it. <laughs> oh, then I don't know. Hyperion? No, it's not. It's I don't know if they were mm. saying Hyperion is a character or if that was just a reference. Oh, 
and the Seder. <laughs> anyway, I have no idea. <laughs> so that, that is from what? Act One, Scene Two of Hamlet. A good example oh. of a haypax is the word Seder, S-A-T-Y-R, which appears really? exactly once in Hamlet. The reason this is a good example is because, one, it's impressive, given that A Midsummer Night's Dream features a satyr and it's not mentioned there once. And that's because, two, it's a hapax across all of Shakespeare's work, meaning it can be found nowhere else in Shakespeare's work except right there. And that's three, insane. it's not uniquely coined in the play. That is, it's a word that dates as far back as the 1300s, well before the player Shakespeare existed. And this gives you an idea that hapaxes don't necessarily need to be weird, strange words. It can be words within the context of a study. So if you are looking at the oeuvre of Shakespeare, you can say that Seder is a hapax. Now, if you were to change your study and say, looking at all of Greek mythology, Seder would not be a hapax. Sure. Does that make sense? For yeah. sure. Yeah. There's another good example in Shakespeare's work. And I want you to tell me if you can find out what it is this time. This might be a toughie. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, they have lived long on the alms basket of words. I marvel thy master hath not eaten thee for a word. For thou art not so long by the head as honorific abilitudinitatibus. Thou art easier <laughs> swallowed than a flat dragon. <laughs> Uh, Kyle, I feel like I have a guess. <laughs> I don't know if you agree with me. I'm sorry. I know that uh, I gave you yeah. a tough one here. I can guess. I think I can guess the play. Um, is it the Abbott and Costello oh. bit, <laughs> Who's on First, <laughs> as written by Shakespeare? Or is it uh, a musical number from Mary Poppins? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you said honorabilifith. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. <laughs> so that was so this, this is from Act 5, Scene 1 of Love's Labor's Lost. And as you may have guessed, Honorific Abilitudinitatibus is the hapax there. And, For sure. <laughs> and this is an instance where that hapax is also the first recorded instance of the word in an English work. So it sort of demonstrates that there's a significant breath, breadth, that hapaxes can have from something simple and familiar to something complex and unheard of. It's interesting to think of the origin of a word being a hapax in the work that it originated from, because if it's the first time the word is used, you'd think there'd be more context and that it'd be used more than once. Within the work, you mean? Within the work that it's introduced right. to humankind. But I guess right. it depends on the type of word because if it's like a word that the author is trying to like define and talk about, then yes, it would definitely be used more than once. But like that one is clearly meant to be a ridiculous on purpose word. Exactly. And so it would make more sense for him to just breeze by it because that's funnier. Or maybe it's a word that he uses in his like all the time, and it's so, not like, special to him. Yeah. <laughs> but God, I hate when Bill comes around and starts calling everything honorific abilitudinitatibus. And then he looks at you like like, like he's, he's waiting, waiting, like he's waiting, you know? Yeah, yeah. But you can't give him that satisfaction. You can't ask. <laughs> but hey, let's take a look at that unheard of word for a second. Honorific abilitudinitatibus, spelled H-O-N-O-R-I-F-I-C-A-B-I-L-I-T-U-D-I-N-I-T-A-T-I-B-U-S. Couple good things about this word, but let's start with the definition. It means the state of being able to achieve honors. 
or just honorableness. In the context prior, it was being used specifically as a joke to remark on eggheadedness. Wow, you guys. Did you know that Shakespeare is actually very funny? Uh, <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever said that before. I don't think anyone's ever. Like, it really takes a person that gets it, you know? <laughs> now, another fun fact is it's the longest word in all of Shakespeare's works. And what's more, it's the longest word in the English language, which has strictly alternating consonants and vowels. Oh, oh, that's fun. Is that why you spelled it that way? It was <laughs> yeah, mesmerizing. No, it's yeah, you get into a trance state. <laughs> yeah. But what's even more than all of that is that this one word is apparently cited by some people as proof of the theory that Francis Bacon was the true author of many plays ascribed to William Shakespeare. I don't yeah, even That's what? right. This is I'm a sorry. mystery now. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, naturally, you two are both aware of the floating theory that William Shakespeare may have been a pen name for any number of playwrights, correct? For sure. Yeah. And this is news to me, but we can cut that out. You didn't, know, you didn't know about this? I mean, I knew that there was like discourse that maybe some of his plays weren't necessarily written by him, but that's the case with m- most famous authors from before video cameras were yeah, invented. So, I mean, that sounds like that sounds like you are absolutely aware of this then. <laughs> well, but Kyle's implying like, a, a real man, William Shakespeare, stole somebody else's plays. Oh, no, 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 no. Rather no. than there was no real man, William Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. So, so apparently, one of those proposed playwrights was the English philosopher and statesman, Sir Francis Bacon. Now, his whole world of Shakespearean denialism is a big one. So I'll just go for the heart of what I'm getting at here, and maybe you two can cover that more intensely on a Patreon episode one day. Whoa. As it turns out, honorific abilitudinitatibus can be anagrammatized. That's right. We're bringing it back. (laughs) No. (laughs) To the Latin, hyludi f. baconus nati tuiti orbi. Or in English, these plays, f. bacon's offspring are preserved for the world. And that anagram and particular theory was presented by Sir Edwin Durning Lawrence, a member of parliament in 1910, who was a firm believer in the idea that Shakespeare's plays were written in what's called steganographic cipher, which just generally means a deeply hidden message. I mean, the the lexiconicon is nothing if not consistent. Hey, hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Nevertheless, there's a reason why I'm bringing all of this up within this context, which is another valuable quality of Hapax Legomenon. Authorship. What do you think I mean by that? Oh, can you like use Hapaxes to determine signatures of authors based on like their vocabulary. So a main takeaway from all that honorific abilitudinitata business is that the Hapax itself (laughs) served as a distinguishing mark for some readers to identify a potential author. There's a very significant body of work wherein authorship is fairly important and Hapaxes are studied closely. Would you like to take a guess without anything to go on or would you like an excerpt? Excerpt, please. (laughs) Yeah, sure. (laughs) For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. You're telling me we're not sure whether or not Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein? <laughs> oh. 
Hey, Kyle. <laughs> Honestly, I'm down for that confusion. Um, that is an excerpt uh, from the Epistle to the Romans, or simply Romans, the sixth book of the New Testament. Do you think you can tell me what the Hapax was? And this is a word that appears once within the whole Bible, or just once within that epistle? Emily, that is a fantastic question. Because the Hapax is creature. And now you're probably thinking, Emily, I know you're thinking this. Seth, <laughs> my smartest and best friend, who I'm going to give $500 after this recording, and so is Kyle. Didn't Aww. you say creature multiple times? But it's a quadriplegic. Yeah, yeah. It's not a quadriplegic, unfortunately. <laughs> um, uh, but yes, I did say creature multiple times. In this instance, those studying the Bible are changing the stipulations to mean words that only appear in one book of the Bible and nowhere else, which is still valid because they're utilizing the identification of these hapaxes to make judgments regarding authorship and different books of the Bible obviously have different authors. But creature appeared four times in the same sentence. Creature only appeared once in the Bible within the Epistle to Romans. So that's the only, t that epistle is the only time that creature shows up. Yep. I see. Got I see. it. Now that's, I understand. That's okay. the hapaxicity there. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha, yeah. Gotcha, yeah. Gotcha, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> now, Kyle, I hear your brain a rattling. <laughs> a rattling. Yeah. And it's saying, oh, the more hapaxes there are, the more identifiable the vocabulary is, the more likely you are to be able to identify or even mimic the author. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you're so mm -hmm. smart. You're such Thanks. a smart boy. Can I get a 500 Except you're not, actually. <laughs> no. You're incredibly wrong. Oh, what? It's just not true. <laughs> While the Pauline epistles, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, etc., books written by Paul, are known to have more hapaxes than your average book of the Bible, that fact is more a result of the works themselves than the author, because the frequency of hapaxes has multiple factors. In this instance, Paul's letters had a great deal to do with complex theological concepts and arguments, subject matter that may call upon more specific vocabulary, unlike other books of the Bible, which may be more narrative-driven or rule-driven or Christ-driven. I hear he's pretty big in that book. <laughs> <laughs> for the Bible and other historical and religious texts, hapaxes are important not for their mere existence, but for the fact that when a word only shows up once in a 2,000-year-old book that's gone through hundreds of translations, it gives a lot of people license to interpret it. Right. Yeah. Because if I wrote one day, it's unlikely that a Ziglat is ever going to rise to power. All you have to go on is that a Ziglat may seek power, but there are some <laughs> circumstances that prevent it from gaining it. <laughs> Much yeah. like Emily's episode on Grok. You need the word repeated and in multiple contexts to really grok what's going on. That's oh. right. And there are instances in the Bible of words that have no repetition, not just within the Bible, but anywhere. <laughs> right. For instance, Luke 9.58. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That phrase, nowhere to lay his head, comes from the translation of a Greek word, stromni, which isn't attested for elsewhere in the Bible or in any other ancient Greek literature. Oh. Right. So some translator just guessed 
And that's well, it. multiple translators have guessed because multiple translations have come from that single word. Some people right. believe that it might just mean a bed. He, he like he just doesn't have a bed. Yeah, not somewhere gotcha. to lay his head specifically. Mm-hmm. So this is sort of where authorship doesn't matter as much when it comes to the frequency of hapaxes because hapaxes are going to show up no matter what. You get what I'm saying? You dig? Yeah, yeah. What are your thoughts so far? I guess I'm still trying to figure out why they matter. <laughs> yeah, like have we used them to determine authorship of things? And if not, what the hell are we waiting for? <laughs> <laughs> now, here's the thing. I hate talking about the Bible because I don't know enough about it and it's never been interesting enough to me to want to know more. Uh, even everything I just told you bored me. What Bear's <laughs> mentioning is that authorial style does have an impact on the frequency of hapaxes. Like, for instance, you could argue Lewis Carroll's works are more riddled with hapaxes than the works of Mark Twain, perhaps. Mm. And you'd likely land on the winning side of that argument, too. But here's the wild thing about Hapax Legomena. While Carol's works may include more Hapaxes than works by Twain, which I should add is an assumption that I do not have anything more than a gut feeling to go on. (laughs) Any given body of work will have just about the same frequency distribution of Hapaxes to the most commonly used words like of, the, or it. Does that make sense? No. No. Say that... Dumber, Don't so worry. That I can yeah. understand it. I gotcha. It's called <laughs> Ziff's Law, Z-I-P-F, Ziff's. Oh. And it basically states that a smaller number of words in a given text or language will be used very frequently, while a large number of words will be used only rarely. Another way to put this, in Moby Dick, the word the is used over 10,000 times, and the word of is used just below 10,000 times, making them the first and second most used words of the book. Meanwhile, there are over 10,000 hapax legomena and just below 10,000 dislegomena, meaning words used only once or twice nearly match the frequency with the two most common words that appear. So it's like a bell curve is what you're telling me? It's an inverse relationship. Is there a graph? Can I see this? <laughs> it, it's literally an inverse graph. It's a The slope is negative one. Right. So like there's one word that's used 10,000 times and there are 10,000 words that are used I once. I Got it. I get on it. The nose. And that obviously isn't the only law we can find demonstrated in the many corpora out there. There are others like Heap's Law, which states that the frequency of distinct words in a body of text diminishes as the body of text grows. Think you're writing an essay with a word count and you haven't reached it. It's unlikely a totally unique word will appear in what you have left to finish. No, I like to throw in a uh, a frailty every I, now and yeah, then. I know, yeah, I remember you gave me, you sent me something of yours you were working on. And I noticed in the last paragraph you were like, anyway, my most esteemed honorific abilitude in the database professor, I write to you now. Yeah. Um, I got a failing grade on that essay. You sure did. And I was the one grading it. (laughs) But even more interesting, Benford's law, a statistical law that typically applies to frequency with which numbers start with one versus two or three or four, etc., may also apply to the frequency with which words begin with the most common letter of the alphabet or in other language, the most common syllable. So I think it's T is one of the most common first letters of a word. And that almost always is the case 
in any body of text. T starting words will be the most abundant in a body of text. I mean, that's got to be just because of the and two. Yeah, they're doing a lot of the heavy lifting out there. Yeah, their, sure. their PR campaign is insane right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, vote think, the two. Yeah. 2018. 2018? I don't know why I said 2018. Emily's sort don't of in another it. world right now. <laughs> she is. She's still reeling from 2016. 2018. I don't know why that was the year in Can my you brain. believe they were the libertarian candidates? <laughs> It was a gubernatorial race. It was a gubernatorial <laughs> race. That's oh, the God. word. It just sounded like you were dribbling pudding. <laughs> ah. I hate you both. All right. Well, <laughs> listen. All this to say, you may have noticed our adventure into the Lexiconicon and further into Hapax Legomena began with the bard, moved into the world of the Bible, and landed us right in front of the mirror, as we recognize that Hapaxes are not tools we use to heighten our language, but rather to examine it. Even Lewis Carroll's work, which is characterized by nonce words and neologisms and portmanteaus, can't escape Ziff's law, because Ziff's law isn't one we knowingly abide. It's something that's come naturally from the way we humans constructed our languages, and just another of those rules we never knew we were following. <gasps> oh, Jesus Christ. Sorry, I blacked out. What what just happened for the past 42 minutes? <laughs> You went on a bender. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you guys think? What do you, I'm not going to ask you to use it in a sentence because Thank goodness. technically I haven't even been pr- present this whole time. Technically, no, 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 I've no, been no. in a tr- I said, would a you s- like us to define Apex Legomena <laughs> for you? Because I assume hey, it's a phrase uh, you've never uh, heard. Apex, uh, 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 <laughs> hey, what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's certainly fun. It's certainly fun to look at it's like a good just like interesting stats for anything you're reading like i wonder how many times this word was used so my immediate thought is and this is just on the brain you know can you use the spread out whatever it's called <laughs> the spread yeah. out can you use no, no, the I got spread him. eagle can you use, yeah can you use the spread eagle to what exactly <laughs> Of like hay paxes versus like the most common words and the least common words. Can you use that to determine what was written by a human and what was written by a computer? So that is a really, really interesting and good question. You could, because that's actually one of the uses of Benford's law in actual practice. When you see a Twitter account that has let's say 900,000 followers. The likelihood is that that is a bot because numbers are less likely to start with the number nine than they are to start with one or two. And so things like that and things like Zip's Law, if a, piece, if a body of work doesn't have a slope of negative one when it comes to the number of haypaxes uh, compared to the number of common words, you're looking at something that should be looked at again, something that you need to review and be like, is this legitimate? Is this actually written by a human? This doesn't seem like it was because this is not how humans write. That's really interesting. I mean, uh, then 
can you create AI learning tools that can discover what was written by AI and then will they become sentient and learn how Kyle's to write really things that aren't AI written by AI? Kyle, Kyle, Kyle sounds like he actually is on a field trip right now. <laughs> and he found the first person with a name tag in the museum and was like, if dinosaurs had five legs, do you think that they would have survived the asteroid because they could have run faster? Or maybe if they had thumbs, maybe? Can we bring dinosaurs back and maybe put thumbs on the dinosaurs so that they can play catch with me? Kyle's the kid who's like, I wonder if I can get kicked out of this museum. (laughs) No, uh, uh, your your questions are valid, though, because like these laws are things that we instill into language models to understand how humans write so that it can write like a human writes. Right. Like that is... That is a part of this whole thing. Heap's law as well. Like if you are reading a body of work and it just keeps throwing out new vocabulary words, you got to be like, that's insane. How is that accomplishing that? (laughs) (laughs) So it's, it's, it is, it is very valuable. I, I, I mean, one of the big things that I didn't really cover because I mean, I was already getting into way too technical grounds is the impacts on computer science and computer language models and AI because of what hapaxes are and what they represent and how they are used in the English language and languages abroad. What broad are you talking about? You know? Seth, what can we do to move this along so that Kyle stops? Well, (laughs) is it time for a game? Maybe. Do you want to play a game? Oh, oh shit. now it's it feels jigsaw like jigsaw stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's play a game. <laughs> I don't really like open-ended games because there's no game to them. So, but here we go. Seth hates improv. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, if it's yeah. one thing we know about Seth. Here, here's a game I I shoddily threw together called Hey Pax or Nah. I'm gonna give you a few words, and you just gotta tell me if. They're recorded hapaxes in the English language or nah. Uh, hapaxes in a language can become not hapaxes. So for our purposes, we're going to look at this sort of historically, you know, because once a word is used again in the English language, it's no longer a hapax for the English language. It's just a yeah. hapax for that body. Of I word. feel like as soon as you recognize something as being a hapax, it is no longer a hapax. Uh, no, because it's still a hapax to the body of work that it's used in right but for a language i mean yeah yeah absolutely absolutely. it's a real like like you know observing the experiment changes the experiment schrodinger's cat yeah Uh, theory (laughs) of relativity einstein oppenheimer manhattan project sort of stuff (laughs) anyway your first word is flother f-l-o-t-h-e-r flother is that a hapax in that you just made it up just now? Hey, first word is a biggle baggle. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Your next word is going to be Swarkeners. Governor. Or not running a new gubernatorial collector. 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 All right. So, Flother is your first word. Okay. Flother. I, I think that's got to be a hapex. I mean, I don't. 
Wow. So they are <laughs> coming out divided. Well, that's yeah. a point for Emily. Flother is a hapax. It was used as a synonym for snowflake in a book I literally could only find within the context of this word, which was a hapax. Wow. <laughs> from the 11 panes of hell written in the 1200s. Oh. Wow. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it was an odd number. That's interesting. Yeah, well, it's an odd place, you know? <laughs> um, there's one thing we can say your next word is indexy i-n-d-e-x-y i feel like that's got to have been used more than once that's yeah. a that's that's I'm, something that someone would reach for i'm on nah it's that sounds very wall street jargon <laughs> Yeah, like Wall Street and like banks and like NASDAQ and like the Dow Jones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where Kyle's getting Wall Street, but... Indexy was first used in Bram Stoker's Dracula. It is a hapax used as an adjective to describe a situational state with no other further use in the language. If that man had been an ordinary lunatic, I would have taken my chance of trusting him. But he seems so mixed up with the count in an indexy kind of way that I am afraid of doing anything wrong by helping his fads. That makes no sense. Yeah, no yeah. idea. Listen, that's, <laughs> hey, that's Apex, baby. Next word is defenestrate. <laughs> what? Oh, I know that one. Defenestrate. Oh, I know that one too. Emily, let's do every other word and okay. we'll define it. Ready? Okay, ready? Yeah. Defenestrate means to throw someone out a window. I feel like I got all the important words in there, and Kyle could have just rode that wave. What? Huh? No, really good job, especially considering the point of the game is to guess whether or not it's a haypax. I mean, it definitely isn't, because we've yeah. seen it used in multiple ways. Wonderful. The term comes from the Latin word fenestra, meaning window, and has been used to describe a number of notable historical events, including the defenestration of Prague in 1618. Yeah, I'm sorry? The oh, yeah, whole country yeah. of Prague? It well, was thrown out the Prague window. <laughs> well, pro Protestant Bohemian nobles threw two Catholic officials out of a window in response to perceived religious oppression. So the defenestration in Prague, not of Prague. <laughs> oh, it was the defenestration of Prague, I promise you. 1618 didn't have another headline in the papers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It was the defenestration of Prague. <laughs> you had to be there. <laughs> Anyone uh, who was anyone. <laughs> I was defenestrating. They were defenestrating. You wouldn't believe. All right. Your next word is petrichor. Oh, that's not. Oh. I know what that one means as well. Me too. Want to do it again? Yeah. Okay, petrichor. I'll start this time. Oh, you start. Yeah. You started yeah. last is. time. <laughs> when? No. Is the? Feeling. What? <laughs> Okay, so Kyle doesn't know what the word <laughs> means. Kyle doesn't know. Kyle said, I, do, I know this one. Let's yes. do it. Ants, smell, fart, bucket, tent, NASDAQ, Dow Jones, Wall Street. <laughs> no, it's like, um, let's say it at the same time, Emily. Ready? <laughs> Okay, three, two, one. It's, it's the like smell when, of yeah, the, after uh, rain. Before the rain. <laughs> so most of that was stammering on your part, Kyle. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna dock five thousand points. 
<laughs> You're gonna have to earn your points back to get back in the positive throughout the rest of our show. <laughs> oh well. Yeah. Uh, your next word is sassagacity. <gasps> sassagacity. Mm-hmm. That one I don't know. So it I could think, be a, a hate I pass. think I had that the other day because I had beans for lunch. <laughs> you had beans for lunch? <laughs> what decade are you living in? Are you are you just you just go to camp? You just go to camp during the day? <laughs> <laughs> Eleven to two are my camp hours. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I think this is a Hapax legomenon. Absolutely, definitely. You got it, and and uh, it comes from Charles Dickens's short story, "A Christmas Tree." It means a Christmas tree. Uh, a Christmas tree. He's visited yeah. by three ghosts of tree past. <laughs> That's sad. Per, uh, <laughs> the 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 word perhaps means audacity. You said perhaps. Say that again, Seth, because uh, you said the perhaps word might, means audacity. The, the yeah, word might mean audacity. Yeah, we d- because Seth. it's we only have the context of right, 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 a Christmas right, right. tree oh, to gotcha. know okay. that sassagacity perhaps means audacity. But I like sassagacity, and I think I mean that's, that's good. We gotta make that a part of the cultural lexicon. Yeah. Absolutely, and um, and that's it. So let me just tally up the points here. Mm, I think I did well. Are there bonus stars if you've traveled the most spaces or landed on the most red spots? Yeah, you landed on a slide, so you went forward a bunch of spaces. All right, I put this through the calculator that I always use, which is an He's abacus got an that has with little a crank handle. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it looks like, um, yeah, Emily, you won. Nice. Great job. Mm. Your smartest and best friend. Who's going to give me $500 (laughs) along with Kyle after this episode. All right. Hey, everybody out there, remember, you can find Butter No Parsnips on social media, on Facebook and on Instagram at Butter No Parsnips Podcast. And if you like today's episode, consider giving us a five-star rating or review wherever you heard us. And if you really liked today's episode, consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Butter No Parsnips. Donating just $5 or more earns you a shout out either on social media or here on the podcast so thanks so much to all of you you help us make what we make and with that i've been kyle imperator and i've been emily moyers and i've been seth glicksman and this has been butter no parsnips butter no parsnips butter no parsnips i do mind but like real tiny did he tell himself to do it? Was you directed yourself to do that? You said, yeah, give him a good one, Kyle. Butter, no parsnips. Great job, Kyle. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Butter No Parsnips. Butter No Parsnips is produced by Seth Glicksman, Emily Moyers, and Kyle Imperator. The theme music and additional music is by Kyle Imperator. If you liked listening to this episode, subscribe and give us a good rating and or positive review wherever you heard it. If you really liked listening, consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash buttermoparsnips. There you can get bonus content you can't get anywhere else, like the monthly Patreon-exclusive podcast Buttered Parsnips. Your support means the world to us and encourages us to keep making more. Thanks in advance, and we'll be back next week.